Welcome! Welcome, St. Louis City fans, to another episode of the Soccer Capital Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Turner, and joining me in our studios in Southern Illinois is a man not afraid to take no as an answer. It's producer Mason. How are you this week, Mason? I'm good. I actually accept no as an answer for a lot of things. <laughs> if you tell me no, I will just be like, okay. And move along and do it anyway. We know how you are. Everyone does. And also joining us from somewhere in West St. Louis County and his studio cave is a man who wonders if indeed St. Louis City SC will win MLS before Tottenham Hotspur wins the Premier League. It's Sean Campbell. How are you doing today, Sean? Oh, I was doing great until you put that thought into my head, and now I'm just going to have an existential crisis for the next decade. Thanks, Mike. Hey, no problem. Anytime. I'm here for you. And also joining us. Why you us, have to be mid? It's only game. Why you have to be mid? Thank you, Ilya Brzezgalov. Sometimes it's a good, sometimes it's a sh- <laughs> and also joining us from St. Louis is a man who wonders why the St. Louis City Punk's new supporters group flag is so puny. It's Chris Zimmerman. <laughs> How are you doing, Chris? I am I'm doing really good. Um I know last week you mentioned that I took a bit of a knock, and I know whenever we sometimes do these intros, we'll joke, oh, this person got selected in the podcaster draft, but uh no, I actually was out with an injury. I did have a concussion uh, last week. So it's good to be oh, back so we and be finally find out what concussed. the upper body injury was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, if you make a particularly dumb take during today's recording and you think to yourself, does that guy have brain damage? The answer is yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we all do, in fact. And if everyone didn't see the uh, SLC Punk's flag as it was posted on Twitter, uh, it's hard to miss. I thought maybe Chris, it fell on him and it took him a week to get out from under the flag. How big is this thing? Is it 20 foot square? On it is. Side? I think it is 20 feet square. I don't know. I missed the TIFO thing because I was still concussed. So I didn't get to see it in person yet. But I'm pretty sure it's 20 feet by 20 feet. I know that I have heard it and I can't remember it, I guess that was one of the mini piece of information that got knocked out of my head when I hit my head in the concrete. <laughs> At least it's bigger it's a, than. Don't say it. New don't say it. Championship no. <laughs> paper. I just knew. Y'all knew it was coming. I just knew he was going to go there. And if you and really haven't credits. seen this thing, you could you could hide a damn elephant under that flag. I swear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's how big it is. <laughs> and also. Yeah, if you can't find tickets to the first game, just let us know. We can sneak you in under it. Yeah. For, le- for legal purposes, that was a joke. But <laughs> we could try. <laughs> K- Caleb, do not listen to mm. this. <laughs> if you know what's good for you, don't listen to this. But uh, we Yeah, that's also have- general advice to everyone. Don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> Mason having the opposite it's- effect of what we actually want, which is more listeners. Tell all your friends. Mm. please listen yeah yeah do yourself a favor don't listen to this podcast don't listen they'll be sure to listen so tell everyone that (laughs) (laughs) and while you're out there go ahead and rate and review this podcast and uh 
I guess it's time to jump into it because season is fast approaching, especially as we try to plan out what we're going to be doing the next few weeks. We realize time is getting short for that. And uh, St. Louis City SC this season in MLS is starting out and they start out with a bang because they will be involved in the uh, inaugural League's Cup format in which all teams in MLS and Liga MX will participate. Uh, St. Louis City, the draw for the groups were done, and they are in a group with the Columbus Crew and Liga MX Galacticos Club America in uh, the, which one are they calling this game? It's so uh, interesting how they do it. Central One is the group that they'll be in. All of these League Cup matches will be played in MLS Stadium, so look forward to a City versus Club America home game coming up uh, this summer. Uh, Club America, if you don't know, it is the most successful team in Mexican history with 13 titles. Um, they were first in the 2022 Apertura standings before losing in the playoff quarterfinals to Pumas. They're currently 12th out of 18 in the Clausera season. Uh, and uh, a lot of Club America fans are in the St. Louis area. Uh, it's going to be a big turnout mm. if they can get a hold of tickets there. Of course, there are a lot of fans for Club America in every city that MLS is in. They really are the biggest team in North America. Yeah, I mean, tickets for this game are... I expect a lot of scalping for tickets for this game and many, many discussions online about the uh, morality of scalping tickets. But um, especially being so close to Chicago, I can imagine a lot of people from Chicago making the trip down to see the game. So mm-hmm. I don't want it to happen, but yeah. I can easily see the stadium being mostly club America supporters when this game happens. Yeah. We, we haven't got any word yet on how the ticketing will be handled for the league's cup. Quite certain. It is not included in the season ticket package. More than likely season ticket holders would have a right of first refusal on those, but we just don't know yet. If there's anything that I know about tickets revolving around this club, it's that it's going to make people very mad. Mm. People are going to have a lot of very normal discussions online about it. People get mad about anything. It's what they do. If they had unlimited tickets for free, people be very upset because, you know, trying to fit 60,000 people into a stadium that seats 22,500 is going to leave people unhappy, possibly injured, and perhaps dead. But uh, that's a topic for another day. Free tickets for everybody. Yeah. Everybody can park out in West County and walk in. How's that? (laughs) Yeah. People just have like a pave the earth mentality about it. It's like, yeah, just make the entire city the stadium. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, we were going to replace the arch. The new city monument is a 700 foot tall parking garage. (laughs) There you go. Larger than the arch. (laughs) Make it the biggest building in the in the, the Midwest, and that would be a tall Think, order. Thinking about that and gripping the in sides Chicago. of my head because I'm overcome with madness. Yeah, <laughs> the Burge Park Leafa. No, yeah. <laughs> Park Leafa. Wow, we have a winner. But uh, the club will have plenty of time to figure this out because the Lee's Cup won't begin until July 21st. It'll run for a month until August 19th. And both Liga Emekis and MLS will pause their seasons for League's Cup play. This is, you know, two leagues participating in a tournament like this is unprecedented in uh, world football. So what can we expect? Well, we don't know because never happened before. I myself am pretty excited about 
the League's Cup with this format as opposed to, you know, a few teams that were invited the last couple of years and nobody seemed to care that much until the championship game. Uh, this looks to be a little bit different. Uh, there is a grand total of 17 groups split between the uh, 20 Liga MX teams and the 39 MLS teams. To make this all work, two teams have got buys and will go directly to the round of 32, which will be a knockout stage of uh, uh, the 2022 MLS Cup champions, LAFC and Pachuca, who had the most combined points across the 2022 Clausura and Apertura seasons in Liga MX. They are going directly to the round of 32. Uh, we're not going to go through all of those groups. That's a lot of things to rattle off in a big hurry. Uh, but you can look them up on MLSsoccer.com. Somebody mentioned Wikipedia would probably have a good place to go for that. Uh, it's everywhere out there on the internet, and you can see how they are. Yeah, our apologies to any high school English teachers listening right now, but Wikipedia is a good place to <laughs> get this information. <laughs> for a lot of things. And uh, we've got the list in front of us right now, and if, uh, you know, if it was an audio only, perhaps you could see it, but... Uh, we can, and uh, any of these groups stand out to you? Any intriguing matchups, things you're looking forward to within the League's Cup? Well, I definitely think for all of us, the interest is clearly what what is being quote-unquote dubbed Central Group 1, which is Club America, Columbus, and St. Louis. But for me personally... Um, I have a bit of a bit of an interesting matchup in Central Group Three, which has Guadalajara, FC Cincy, and Sporting KC. Not just because it's Sporting KC, but because Alan Polito will be back on the pitch for this match and will be playing against his former club, Guadalajara, aka Chivas. Um, so that's going to be fun to watch him finally play his former team. He, I, I'm sure he thought he finally got away from that one. Um, also, just to see how if since he can actually hang with the big boys of Liga MX East and if Sporting KC can bounce back I think that's gonna be a really interesting group to watch yeah it is kind of funny to me that the two biggest clubs in Mexico both wound up in the Midwest so St. Louis and Cincinnati are going to be pretty big hotspots come late or yeah late July early August um and you know I'm looking the way the league has been structured you know the Best teams in Mexico get lined up against, you know, the not quite so good MLS teams. So there aren't too many clashes of Titans in the group stage, really. But just for the namesake alone, I'm looking at East number four with Red Bulls, the Revolution, and then Atletico de San Luis, who is named after the same person that St. Louis is named after. And A, just so that we don't have to play Club America, and B just for the fun factor of getting to play San Luis. So I'd hope one of these years, the League's Cup summons up St. Louis and San Luis in the same group. That'd be fun. We need that a new edition fun. of the King's Cup. Uh, I believe you yeah. I believe you mean Copa del Reyes, Spanish for I Cup know. of Kings. <laughs> but it's only yes. one king, though. It's the same king. Yeah, it's, it's still <laughs> the King's Cup. It's the same thing, just... Cross border, make make it a friendly. We play in the preseason every single year. I want that for myself. I'm looking, uh, I'm looking at uh, East three, and you got NYCFC, Atlas, and Toronto FC. Um, those are some big spending clubs. Those are some big clubs in that group. That's probably the biggest one that we've got. Uh, Inter Miami, Atlanta, 
and Cruz Azul in South 3. Uh, the Joseph Martinez Cup here with the Inter-Miami facing off it against Atlanta United. That adds it along with the uh, big boys in Cruz Azul. Um, Orlando SC's had a big offseason. They get in a group with Santos Laguna and Houston. Uh, the Texas teams being close to the Mexico border, those should be interesting. Uh, those are some of the ones that really look at, uh, grab my attention. As well as Monterrey will be taking on CCAL champion Seattle Sounders. I wonder if uh, Monterrey will be looking to exact revenge for their Liga MX counterparts on the Sounders in that one. Yeah, I, uh, I'm interested to see uh, if Cruz's will just pub stomps through their group. <laughs> but um, I've got my eye Probably. on uh, the uh, East One, which is Philly Union, Tijuana, and Carataro. Uh, interested to see if Philly can hold their own, having come up just a bit short in uh, MLS Cup. And then also West One with uh, Timbers, Quakes, and Tigres. Yep, that's interesting. And, well, you know, one of the fascinating things about the league's cup is we already know uh, from ccl that the top of liga mx the big clubs like uh, club america tigres cruz azul chivas monterey they have an advantage because of their spending but it'll be very interesting how some of those mid-tier and lower tier teams in liga mx how mls clubs match up against them so you're looking at uh, fc dallas and charlotte going up against uh nescaca uh, in that one, there could be just see how they played Nashville and Colorado against Toluca. Uh, Austin has uh, two uh, Liga MX teams in Mazatlan and FC Juarez. And uh, and the aforementioned uh, East one with uh, Philadelphia, Tijuana and Carretaro. Uh, that's the kind of thing I'm looking at is how maybe mid to lower tier MLS teams match up against mid to lower team Liga MX, and we'll get a really good feeling how deep and how good these two leagues are when they match up from head from bottom to top against each other. And that, to me, is one of the most fascinating things about this. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely! It's going to be fantastic to watch. Um, and 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 the fact that the you know both both leagues are halting their seasons to play this means that we're going to see actual top tier players guaranteed like you're going to see your full best 11 every single time uh it's not going to be the same as like say when you're trying to dual you know dual manage uh champions league with the season which one do you pick do you try to do both no no one's going to be faulted for for putting the best 11 out every single game in this tournament regardless um I think that's going to be fantastic and a lot of these lower club lower level mexican clubs are going to get a lot of a lot of uh, what's the word looking for exposure, and then also you know being able to play teams that they haven't played before, see some new styles, see some new formations. Maybe it's going to be very wonderful to watch the mixing of ideologies between the two countries and leagues. Uh, I will say though, this is all making me very glad to not be on Twitter anymore because I cannot imagine the MLS and League MX fans <laughs> playing nice when this tournament's happening. Uh, might want to invest oh, in a hazmat suit before going to the comment sections for about a month. <laughs> and uh, one thing about this is, well, these are all in uh, the U.S. They're all in MLS cities, uh, probably trying to get it off to a nice uh, financially solid start for this experiment, let's call it. Um, 
but really we'll get to know how evenly matched the two leagues are if and when uh, in the future MLS teams in, will travel to Mexico to take on their uh, Liga MX counterparts in this. That's when we'll really start to learn something about the two leagues against each other if and when that happens. I'm going to be curious, too, because this is going to be in like the dog days of the MLS season, but right after the start of the Apertura. So we'll kind of see as well how um, team fitness and also mm. um, if MLS teams get stretched and are really hurting for depth, how that plays into it. Um, one thing I'm very interested in is so we all know that the upcoming so the next World Cup cycle is going to be hosted by U.S., Mexico, and Canada. Um, notice that all of these groups that we've mentioned are three-team groups. They're not having anything but three-team groups. Could we potentially see this being a trial run of three-team groups and then perfecting, say, a group stage into a much broader format for number of teams leading into the World Cup, you know, the actual World Cup on, you know, CONCACAF soil. So is this maybe a testing ground for formats to see if we can find a way that works that doesn't, you know, end up having a team, you know, a group where a team's sitting out and then the other two just sit there and just kick the ball back and forth and don't actually attempt to try because they realize a draw gets them both through. Yeah, I mean, the next World Cup is going to have groups of three. Kind of on the flip side of what you were saying there, Sean, though, was that when they announced the format and they said that if a game ends in a draw after 90 minutes in the group stage, they go to penalty kicks. That was the oh moment for that's why they did it in Next Pro this past season. Wait, when did that drop? Yeah, and did I miss in that? The yeah, that was in the beginning. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's in there. And I'm not really thrilled about it, to be honest. Wait, that's for mm, World Cup or is that minutes. for this, this tournament? That's for, for, for this tournament. Oh, okay. The in that case, then they're probably the testing World it to Cup. see if it yeah. works right. <laughs> that's kind the of the World Cup's backing there. off the groups of three. They thought they, that's the way they were going to do it, but uh, they're starting to rethink it because you don't have all the teams in the final group stage playing at the same time. So you can have shenanigans where teams will team up and not score or play around so that they both can pass through and the one team out doesn't go. Yeah, there is a very big historic precedent for why the last games of the group stages have been simultaneous since 1982. Yeah. West Germany versus Austria, and it screwed over Algeria. They just passed the ball back and forth to each other endlessly through the match and didn't do anything. It was it was scandalous, I yeah, guess and, you would say. And then very loudly insisted there was no collusion when there was very obviously collusion. <laughs> yeah. To... Backtrack a little bit, uh, talking about maybe hosting the future in Mexico. It made me think, geographically, we're going to find out which is a bigger advantage. Club America playing in Mexico City, which is over a mile above sea level, so less oxygen, or St. Louis, where it will be 100 degrees and you can drink the air by the end of July. Which one comes out on top? Ooh, that is something <laughs> that I didn't quite think about. I mean, we do kind of see a little bit of that when it comes to playing the rapids in the middle of summer versus in like Kansas city in the middle of summer. But that playing in Azteca is just, it, it it's, it's intimidating regardless of what team you're playing for or what league or what competition Azteca is just, Ooh, yeah. that's, a I looked, beast. it's, I looked so really hard big. into going to Mexico this March for to see a game at Azteca, but I, 
the money just wasn't going to work out for me. I'm a bit disappointed because they're going to be completely reno- renovating it starting yeah, this summer for the World Cup. It's not just the elevation because Mexico City is much higher than even uh, Denver. Um, mm-hmm. That stadium's over 100,000 people. Uh, it's very hot there, especially during the day. And you've got the pollution in Mexico City that uh, makes breathing also another issue despite even the uh, high altitude. There's no match for that, really, in MLS, to be honest. Uh, one thing, uh, though, we don't know about this league is uh, how the television rights are going to be handled. We don't know if it's going to be uh, under the do. Apple TV. It's all going do to we? be on Apple TV+. Plus. Yeah, it's all on Apple is TV+, it? Plus except in Mexico. Yeah, that uh, in Mexico. And uh, any rights given to uh, Telemundo or Univision? That we know of. That I don't know. Should. Yeah. Um, I have a they feeling really maybe should. that might be why it's not on Apple TV in Mexico, but I'm not sure on that. I'm just thinking but in, in the America, US and Canada, for... it's all on Apple TV. It's in your it's in the MLS package. So there won't be any like American Spanish language broadcasts for people living in America that you know Spanish is the first language because uh, no television. That would be handled by Apple. Like Apple's hiring. Apple is hiring. Um Spanish language and French language um, commentators and hosts as well. Hmm. Or I should say MLS. MLS is doing the production through Apple TV+. Plus. Yeah, Any other thoughts on the League's Cup? City wins its first trophy. Calling it right now. Call me crazy. But City wins its first trophy in this League's Cup. Calling it. <sighs> This you year? are crazy. No, <laughs> I, you know, you really think City's going to be Club America? You know the thing is, though, <laughs> hey, hey, um, I'm not even hey, sure. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> I'm just making a wild prediction. All right, you know, y- you know, are- there was a man who did, in fact, bet on the Blues to win the Stanley Cup when they were the last place team in the league, and they did it. And then the better the betting companies told him, uh, "We'll buy you out of this at, at every stage," and he's like, "Nope, going all the way. I'm doing that right now, just theoretically." Yeah. I mean, Club America is how much money you right put down it's on it to be five dollars because that'll make enough to pay off all of my debt, buy me a house, and everything else. Club America is kind of stumbling this season, being in twelfth. But you know, no matter what, you got to get through Cruz Azul and Pumas, and it's just <laughs> you know, I could see us maybe getting to the knockout stages or even the round of sixteen. It's another opportunity for us to have a good performance in a tournament to hang our hat on for the first season, but. Winning it, I, I don't see it happening. No, I don't. Uh, I sure would that like after. to, but I don't think it's happening. I believe in the League Cup rules, if a team is eliminated, they don't play that third match. So it is possible that City could only play two matches in this tournament and then, I guess, have three weeks to train? Hmm. I don't know how that will work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and... Uh, Another thing to look forward to of a much sooner time frame is MLS preseason. It rolls on. It's uh, firing up. We're so excited to have our team involved with this. And to give us a rundown of what I expect for City in the preseason, it's our own Chris. Take it away. Yeah, so preseason is in full swing. It's pitchers and catchers report for spring training. We are going so the team is currently in the Fort Lauderdale area. They're training basically at Inter-Miami's facility for this week. Three teenagers have joined them for this camp. 17-year-old Miguel Perez and then two 15-year-olds are newest homegrown signing, Caden Glover, and then Tyson Pierce, who just got back from the U.S. 
national team U16 camp. So it's exciting for them to get that opportunity to train with the big boys for this week. They have two games coming up. Closed Doors versus Philly on Tuesday, January 24th, which I believe is the first ever game as City 1. That Leverkusen game was City 2, so City 1's first ever game is Tuesday. They're playing on the campus of Florida Gulf Corps University at Fort Myers, and then we'll have another Closed Doors game against Inter-Miami on Saturday, Saturday, July 28th. The next day, they're going to return for another week of training in St. Louis, and then a week later fly out to the Coachella Valley Invitational, where they'll be playing the Galaxy, the Whitecaps, and New York City. Look for closed doors versus uh, Philly and Inter-Miami to not be shown anywhere. There's a slight possibility you might get a highlight posted on Twitter. I doubt it. So just look for a score and who scored and when. Maybe a discipline report, but that's all we're going to have to go off of, which is disappointing because the first ever game for city one is an exciting event but the coachella matches might be shown on youtube somewhere because you can buy a press pass to that event so they're not full closed doors so they may be posting them on youtube they might be live streaming them we might just get a few highlights we don't know we'll let you know as soon as we yeah, know I've but been, it'll be a while i've been interested in the coachella um thing because yeah you can attend um, I think it's even actually open to the public if you can afford to go out there mm-hmm. and afford the pass. But I haven't seen anything about viewing it, so I haven't. I'm not sure. I'm interested to see them if yeah. they do post them. The pass is crazy expensive for Coachella, uh, both the music it's festival like and this thing. So I think that's designed to make sure only legacy media people, can, legacy media people, can get in. But they still might mm-hmm. have media available. We don't know yet. It's Coachella. Coachella is expensive no matter how you get there, no matter what you're going for. It's Coachella because Coachella. I ain't going to pay a thousand dollars for preseason games. I'm going to tell you that it's probably cheaper to go to the Coachella Music Festival than it is to get that media pass. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think so. Uh, It was a good joke. The post is the post dispatch does have reporters in Florida with the team right now. Uh, so it's a possibility we will get some newspaper accounts of these closed door matches, possibly at least something on. And then uh, Coachella, generally with these tournaments, you'll get and find some coverage. Uh, who knows? David Goss might file back up MLS today as a podcast every day, and uh, you'll be able to find out information. He usually does a good job of trying to cover things like preseason as well. So we'll see. Yeah, just to check your local listings, as they say. On that, and uh, any other thoughts the about the guy so I can watch the Coachella Valley Invitational? <laughs> you turn to channel 98 and watch PBS slowly scroll. <laughs> uh, flipping over from Sex in the City so I can watch the Coachella Valley Invitational. Most of the uh, news that we have this week about St. Louis City SC. Of course, uh, news will keep rolling in as we keep going along here, approaching our first game. Uh, Let's take a look at MLS, where there was a couple of very, very interesting rule changes. And first of all, uh, the league has announced the end of the allocation order. Uh, All players on the allocation list will now be assigned via the MLS discovery process. Uh, So it's probably good to recap what these mechanisms are or were. Uh, 
uh, to refresh, you know, well, all of our memories. Um, we did cover these back on our November 16th uh, episode, uh, our throw-in episode. You can go back uh, through our old shows from last fall to to hear how we explained MLS roster rules in a conversational manner. You can just look for the word dojo, D-O-J-O, in the title and look these up. Uh, and uh, the allocation list uh, consisted of the following with teams able to trade places in the allocation order. So the allocation list was made up of select U.S. men's national team members, select youth U.S. national team members, and former MLS players returning to MLS after they had joined a non-MLS club for an outgoing transfer fee of half a million dollars or more. So I'm not going to try to remember this. (laughs) Well, you you no longer have to because it's gone. Yeah, it's gone. Yeah, I'm not going to miss it. The allocation order was used in 2022 for, um, you know, uh, DeAndre Yedlin signed with Inter Miami. Matt Biazga went to FC Cincinnati and Jefferson Savarino signed for Real Salt Lake. But uh, the allocation order, which had been around forever, is gone. The podcast allocation disorder with uh, Stam Skull and Paul Tenorio, that's still staying as far as I know. Um, now, everything now will be done through via the discovery process. This is a thing that allows teams to scout and sign players who are not yet under contract. Um, The teams place players on their discovery list. They can have up to seven players on the list at any time. And the teams can remove and add players anytime they'd like. Uh, The league does have the discretion to determine if the club has the necessarily intent, means, and ability to sign a player. For example, you know, only certain clubs have the means and actual ability to sign someone like Lionel Messi to a contract. If multiple clubs attempt to add the same player to the discovery list, the first to submit the player gets the highest priority to sign the player. Now, with the allocation order and the allocation list, As an expansion club, St. Louis City SC was number one on the list. So MLS did compensate St. Louis City uh, by giving them the right of first refusal to one player who they choose. And City opted to choose the hometown boy, Joss Sargent. So if Joss Sargent ever decides to come to MLS, City gets dibs, the first chance to sign him. And uh, teams can go ahead and uh, offer any other club, uh, up to $50,000 in GAM in exchange to trade out the priority for GAM. Yeah, I'm looking at us choosing Josh Sargent, and I'm just wondering, is this maybe a serious move, or are we kids asking Santa for a Ferrari for Christmas? Because I'm looking at option two <laughs> being the more likely one. Well, oh, yeah. I, yeah, I, I, think so. is, uh... I think I have to say, based off of that... Um, what was that stipulation Mike just said? They have to have reasonable means and intent to actually add them to a discovery list. I don't think they'd allow us to get that on Josh Sargent if we didn't have intent, actual intent on bringing him home. So, I, I, well, I mean, eh, I, I'm just saying not it, it's mean. not impossible, but... I, I think the thing with that is that, like, it, it, yeah, like, you probably have enough money there's still space on the roster, but I think intent doesn't mean actively pursuing. It's just like, yeah, we would sign him if he ever came. Now, the yeah, question like, is, uh, would that then allow going back to, was it last week's episode or the week before? I can't remember. Um, but where we talked about Ronaldo potentially signing in KC, 
would they be allowed to add him to said discovery list in such a way that, you know, we already have that connection. Potentially, if he ever signs here, we get him first because of allocation, you know, because of discovery process. I'm sure the L.A. Galaxy in Miami already have him on their discovery list, so they'd have dibs over Sporting KC. Not sure if Sporting during the... I'm just not sure what happened with uh, the Ronaldo thing. If they already made a trade for the rights to Ronaldo and uh, sent out their 50000 a game, I'm not sure. Well, if if we've already covered this and my head hurts all over again, I'm just saying if they were if they if Ronaldo was already on someone else's list, why even go after him as hard as they did? Because they wouldn't get him even if he signed, because he'd have to go to one of the the other team that had him on the discovery list. No, 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 no. To say, yeah, no, because the like the L.A. Galaxy or Inter Miami, if they had them higher up on their list. They could pass on him if they don't want to pay, mm. pay his salary. Then yeah, what's if the point the of putting him on the goes list? If the other claims him, if one hire claims him, they've got five days to get him signed. Five days. You think a transfer coming in and swooping in on another team for Cristiano Ronaldo is going to happen in five days for an MLS club? Not likely. Yeah, I take the 50000 again and watch and see if Sporting's able to get it done. So, you know, legally it could be blocked if you do this, but realistically... No, with five days, they're not going to be able to swoop in and take that transfer away for a player that stature if they're already actually actively having uh, conversations of that advance point. I got to say, one team almost signing Ronaldo and then a giant legal battle over these really weird, hard to understand rules breaking out would be the most (laughs) MLS thing to ever happen. Yeah, you're absolutely correct about that. That is the most MLS contract litigation I have ever heard of. But wait, perhaps we averted one uh, already this past week. As I just found out, MLS just kind of made up a new rule uh, so Inter-Miami could get Joseph Martinez. Imagine Uh, that, MLS making up a rule for a specific player. Yeah, since Martinez had a no-trade clause in his contract, MLS decided that he would not go through the waiver process when he was bought out by Atlanta, but instead he'd be, quote, reassigned the thing is inter miami was nowhere near the top of the waiver list Uh, martinez really was kind of set on going to miami had no trade clause and uh, remember atlanta bought him out but atlanta doesn't hold the contract to martinez mls holds the contract to all the players uh, the Athletics Felipe Cardenas, yeah, I'll say that again. The Athletics Felipe Cardenas uh, posted on Twitter uh, from MLS sources that quote: "The player was given the opportunity to explore reassignment with MLS and speak to other MLS clubs. He elected to be reassigned to Inter Miami uh, CF. So that's the way MLS said it." And like I said, it seems to be a product of the uh, single-entity system. Uh, because if Atlanta just waived Martinez and then he somebody claimed him on waivers, he didn't have to you know, go to them. He's on waivers. He could have just been free to sign then outside of MLS, and reassignment keeps him in the MLS system. So that's interesting. Sure. That's whatever. just <laughs> some un- extra unneeded red tape bureaucracy from... Daddy Garber and his Garber Pucks. Yep. 
I guess what yep. what I'm what's in what, what's going to be interesting is if this sets a precedent and is used for other players in the future, or if this is just kind of a one and done thing. They just threw it out. It's like, yeah, fine. Joseph Martinez goes to Miami, whatever, and then they just kind of close the book on it. I'd say the cat's out of the bag. Yeah, are we sure it's Don a new Garber way of uh, handling this? Calvin from Calvin and Hobbes' secret identity, and he's just Calvin balling this entire thing. <laughs> yeah, major league no, Calvin he's... ball. Unfortunately, Don Garber is probably more of the dad in Calvin and Hobbes, <laughs> and the owners are more of Calvin and Hobbes, and everybody else in the comic strip. And he's just the one that have to deal with it and uh, sits around in his chair and reads the paper and tries not to, you know, kill himself. Uh, we see the world used to be in black and white. <laughs> yep. Except on Sundays. It was in color then. <laughs> Any other thoughts on these uh, changes to the MLS rules? It's good to see MLS actually get rid of some crazy mechanism from the early days and getting rid of the allocation list. It's a step in the right direction. At the rate they're going, somewhere around the year 2100, they'll start to approach on working on TAM and GAM. Yeah, rest in to the allocation order, gone and fondly forgotten. And uh, there's some other news around MLS, and to get us caught up on the things that are happening around the league, we've got Sean Campbell. Yeah, we've got uh, got a little bit of, of sad news to start off this week. Um, we have the passing of Anton Walks from Charlotte FC. The defender passed away on the 19th. He was 25 years old and leaves behind a partner and a daughter the London native was a product of the Tottenham Hotspur Academy, and he was playing for Atlanta United. He played for Atlanta United in their inaugural season, uh, returned, returned to MLS after a two-year stint with Portsmouth. He was involved in a fatal boating accident in Florida. Uh, City was scheduled to play a game against Charlotte, uh, but that was subsequently canceled due to the fact of said accident, rightly so, in my opinion. Um so just our best wishes to his family and his friends and to Charlotte FC as well. Uh, may he rest in peace. And you, you never love, you never like seeing anything like this come about. Yeah. I mean, St. Louis sports has its history of af active athletes dying too young. Uh, Josh Hancock, um, Daryl Kyle. Tavares. Yeah. Daryl Kyle. Um, it's rough. It's it's awful to see. Oscar, I think you in said sports, Oscar Tavares, Mike, but yeah. Yeah, I did. Oscar Tavares, too. And in training camps, this does happen on occasion across all sports in North America. It's a tragedy, but uh, yeah. it's a shame. And then every, everything about it reminded me a lot of uh, Jose Fernandez, which was also very, very sad. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, uh, I hope his partner and his daughter go on to have wonderful lives of their own right. And may his memory be a blessing. So yeah, best, best wishes to, to his family and, and his, and his friends into the team. Um, and yeah, so moving along into more on the pitch news for MLS, we've got some transfer updates for y'all. Uh, it looks like Christian Ramirez is signing Back in MLS with the Columbus crew after a short stint with Aberdeen in the Scottish Premier League. He has signed through 2024 with an option for 25. He scored 35 goals and 10 assists in 105 matches pre in MLS. Previously played for the Loons, LAFC, and for the Houston Dynamo. He, Dynamo, he looks to be a backup number nine behind Cucho Hernandez and will have to really impress in order to outpace Jason Russell Rowe 
for that backup spot. And we are fairly familiar with Russell Rowe with his time for crew two in MLS next pro terrorized us. <laughs> Absolutely terrorized. Us. I don't say Jason Russell Rowe and Columbus in the same sentence around me. I will have a fit. <laughs> Good thing. I'm recording in a remote location. Otherwise we'd have fisticuffs on the podcast. Everybody. <laughs> Chris is going to start dismantling his apartment with his hands. <laughs> Speaking of permanent signings in MLS, we've got Leo Campagna, who is purchased after his loan spell by Inter Miami after a successful loan from Wolves. He will be signed as a young DP on this new contract through 2025 with an option for 2026. And he sh- he seems pretty well seated to be a suitable replacement for Gonzalo Higuain, who is recently retired. And last season, uh, he seemed to show he could work quite well in a two-striker system, so it'd be interesting to see how he works with Joseph Martinez. Could be a very interesting lineup for sure for Inter-Miami, and maybe it'll fix their scoring woes, and maybe they'll actually be be able to put together a much more productive offensive season. Have to see if that uh, those forwards in Miami stay exciting like they were last year. We'll have to see. But on the opposite side of the scoring spectrum, we've got the San Jose Earthquakes signing keeper Danielle, and that's the only name I could actually find for him, from International from Brazilian Serie A. He recently put up 37 shutouts in 83 games for International, and he will likely be pushing for that starting gig against JT Marcinkowski. It's going to be fun to see if they, you know, actually have a goalkeeping battle or if he's really having to try to unseat that incumbent in Marcinkowski. I'm going to guess it's the opposite where Marcinkowski is going to have to prove himself. You know, you are a starter in Serie A in Brazil. You probably deserve an MLS starting spot. I don't think you'd hire a player that caliber as a backup. Yeah. And especially at the Quakes where they've always been kind of leaky back there. I mean, when when your defense hangs you out to dry like theirs have the last few years, yeah, you, you kind of have to have a an absolute show stopping show, you know, shot stopper back there to anchor you. But with their backline being very firmly Brazilian, there's going to be some some familiarity between countrymen and the center backs and the keeper. So it'd be very interesting to see if the Quakes can turn it around this year and actually put up some low crooked numbers as as opposed to high crooked numbers. In addition to signings, we also have some re-signings with. Christian Roldan, Jordan Morris, and Levia Leva re-signing with Sounders, and they're all signed through 2027 with Leva having the option for 27. Um, they were all going to be out of contract at the end of this year. The Sounders do it again and manage to bring back a lot of, you know, on-field talent that is proven and will continue to show themselves off and be very well producing for this club. And we'll we'll have to see how this plays out for them in the in in the future. Yeah, Roldan said that he had offers from Europe, but, uh, you know, he, he also said the grass isn't always greener uh, across the pond. Uh, he's got it pretty good in Seattle. He's a firm part of that uh, winning franchise that's well run. And uh, you could see why there's a real desire to stay in a place you've always been that treats you and so well and you win. Makes sense. Going to be curious to see what uh, Seattle tries for this season because it seems like they've still got all the pieces they need to be successful. Yeah, we'll see if last year's you know falling out of the playoffs was just a fluke or if that is a, a coming trend. But 
that remains to be seen. Speaking of staying somewhere to attempt to win, Carol Swiderski has been quoted as saying he wants to win something with Charlotte before he goes back to Europe in any sort of fashion. And I, I, I honestly have to say it's a bit of a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see how it works out for him. He could have gotten a fairly big move after, you know, showing up at the World Cup. And, you know, there were rumors on the rise and Charlotte fans were a bit iffy about whether he was going to stay or not. But it seems he has silenced those for now, saying he wants to win something here and has a good opportunity to do so. He also has spilled the beans a little bit on a couple of big names, Polish players who have asked him about what's it like in MLS? Is it is it a league worth coming to? What's going on there? And a couple of the names that have actively reached out to him about questioning about what's it like playing at MLS? Should I go to MLS? Are Wojciech Szczesny, the keeper, and Robert Lewandowski, of all players, has questioned him about, should I play in MLS? Um, and it's just, it just, it's, it's good to be noticed by these big players, especially a little bit earlier in their careers than most of the big name players we've seen just a little bit of food for thought as a league continues to grow, but also is stabilizing at 30 teams and can start focusing on level of play and hopefully level of pay and interact those bigger name players. Yeah. I got to say, oh, those two names you mentioned, I think Wojciech Szczesny is a much more likely scenario than Lewandowski. I think I could see a very much a Roman Berkey situation pulling out like Szczesny roughly in the same career. He's 32 now has been a very good keeper in Europe for a very long time. But if he maybe starts to fall off the wagon a little bit with Juventus, moving over the MLS isn't a bad move for him. Lewandowski, uh, that is a stretch. Maybe eventually you'll get a Zlatan or a Beckham situation, but that's a more of a long-term move for him. But Chesney, I'm not predicting it, but I could see it happening. Honestly, if we were going to get a Wojciech in MLS, I would be more interested in Wojciech, the bear that fought in World War II and assisted in a siege in Italy. <laughs> That's Wojciech, not Wojciech. something new. One. <laughs> uh, but hey, we'll see. More likely to find some younger player coming from Poland. There's been some success there in MLS. And if it's a high-end player, MLS's pay is uh, getting more and more competitive on the world market, and hence the talent we've been seeing coming in the last couple of seasons. But uh, that pretty much wraps up the uh, level of MLS news we have at this moment as uh, the teams start to head into training uh, and getting ready for the upcoming season, just like City. Ooh, I'm so excited. Uh, some other news in uh, soccer in the U.S. Uh, the U.S. national teams uh, have some news out there, and I'll go ahead and let Chris tell us all about it. All right. Thank you, Mike. So to start off, the U.S. women's team played a second game against New Zealand and had an even more dominant performance than their 4-0 win by winning 5-0 at a second friendly at Eden Park in Auckland. Um, you know, New Zealand aren't quite world beaters in the women's game. They're currently ranked 24th in the world. But to have a 9-0 aggregate against them is a really good sign after those two, you know, somewhat worrying losses. And of those... It feels, feels mean. We're just pub-stopping New Zealand. <laughs> yeah. But of those five goals, the first one was scored by Ashley Hatch. Then Rose Lavelle had a brace. Uh, Mallory Swanson, formerly Mallory, Mallory Pugh, scored a goal. And then Taylor Korniak also scored. So a 9-0 
aggregate over two games against New Zealand, who will be hosting the World Cup, including the U.S.'s group stage games in June. It's a good sign. You know, good games. Uh, the men's team will be playing two games this upcoming week. They'll be playing on Wednesday versus Serbia at BMO Stadium, the home of LAFC, which is doing the research for this segment is how I learned that it's no longer Bank of California Stadium. So the MLS joins the NHL in having two stadiums sponsored by the same company. But that will be 9 p.m. on Wednesday, and you can watch that on HBO Max and Peacock. And then on Saturday the 28th, we'll be playing for at the home of the other L.A. club, the Galaxy at Dignity Health Sports Park. That'll be 6.30 Central Time, and that is on both TNT and Peacock. And also uh, Telemundo and NBC Universal, I believe, the NBC Spanish carrier. And it sounds good. Serbia and Colombia, a couple of pretty good teams out there. But remember, it's not an official FIFA window, so you're probably getting B or C teams coming in. Uh, sort of like you got a B or C team, for the most part, uh, for the U.S. in January. Though there's more uh, players that play abroad in this January camp than we're accustomed to. And uh, that gives us our information on the national teams. And um, our own producer, Mason, went out and did something kind of silly last night. And... Uh, Asked some folks out on social media if they had any questions for us. Did we get any responses to that query, Mason? We sure did. Um, first up, we have a question from someone who's definitely not Chris Zimmerman uh, asking, who do you think will be the first club captain? Chris, why don't you answer this question from definitely not Chris? Yeah, um, <laughs> the the definitely not version of me was inspired to ask this question by a conversation I had at the Amsterdam while watching the New Zealand game Friday night with uh, Gordon, who's a I know is a fan of the show. Um, definitely not me. Heard that um, Gordon's opinion is that it's going to be Tim Parker because he has a lot of experience and is going to be seeing a lot of minutes. I half agree with that, but half don't. I'm sort of in the situation where I Tim Parker doesn't feel like the right choice for me, but I also, looking at our lineup, can't on my own pick someone who'd be better at it. Now, the only other one for the same reason, being in MLS and being a veteran, uh, Nowitzki was the other one that came to my mind. Is yeah. probably the one, especially you want him on the field. Josh Yarrow might be a good captain. It might you know, you can play that role in the locker room without being captain, but not being a starter, he's not going to be on the field to do the captain's duties with the uh, officials and all that's entailed there. Well, I was just going to say that with, you know, and we'll we'll get into this a little bit later, uh, with the current injury status of of the team, I, I could see Yarrow getting the start and then also getting the captain's armband. But if I had to really pick somebody from this squad that's going to be a constant, consistent starter and getting that captain's armband, I I don't see an out and out uh, captain on the pitch just yet. But I I I I wouldn't be surprised if it was someone like maybe an Edward Loven or someone in the midfield that's going to be running back and forth and running up and down and controlling the game. Um, bold pick here. Uh, first captain in city history goes to Nebula Blom. I was also thinking that as a wildcard pick. Yeah, Nebula Blom, I'm big on the guy, but he might just be a little bit too young and inexperienced. 
you know, if yeah. you're looking for the person with the most experience, the most big game, it's obviously Berkey. But the goalie is the captain. <sighs> you know, it has worked in the past. It's not unheard of. But I don't know if that's the direction we're going to go. Well, I do know that in certain, you know, for certain teams that uh, I have root- rooted for in the past, the keeper was the captain. They uh, they did manage to go on and actually have successful runs in a certain European champions competition uh, in, in in having their keeper be the captain. But you know, Spain it's, it's, in I don't think that's the Casillas. move. What'd you say? I said Spain in 2010. Iker Casillas was the captain. Yeah, I mean, it, it's possible to have the goalie be the captain and actually work very well, but at the same time, like, that's not a very MLS move. The MLS move is you either have your top scorer or your old, your most senior member of the team actually be the captain. So, Well, it's knows? unconventional, so that almost certainly means we will. <laughs> yeah, no, plot twist, Nico Giacchini gets the start and then actually gets the captain's <laughs> armband. <laughs> Yeah. Plot twist. Yeah, Taylor Coleman exactly comes out of retirement to play one game just to be the captain. Yeah. You know, I look <laughs> at this lineup and I see a lot of good players who I think could be the captain in a few years, but they're just a little bit too young and inexperienced to do it right now. So from a personality perspective, really it's Parker, Yarrow, and Berkey. And as much as I deeply love Josh Yarrow, and he is going to be the name on the back of my away kit when the away kit is released. I don't see him getting the armband as much as it kills me to say. Yeah. Next up, we've got a question from Chris Dolemeyer. Hello, Chris. Uh, Next man up for Nielsen. Joachim Nielsen. Interesting. So I would say it's probably going to be a fight between Josh Yarrow and John Bell. See who does the best in training. Yeah, I would I would agree one hundred percent. Pretty much what I was thinking. It's, yeah, seems pretty standard. Um, and I, I I would I would hope that it goes based off of actual performance on the field and not favorite favoritism of any sort with Yarrow getting the getting the bid just so he can wear the band for the first game because he's been with us for so long. I love Yarrow, love the work he puts in, but at the same time, with this being the first year team, they you kind of have to earn that and not just get it because. You know, you have familiarity, um, mm. right? If, if that makes sense. Though a little thing like that for him in the first game could be the tipping point if there's not a lot separating the two. Yeah, yeah. I can see that happening. Yeah, if that's the only thing that comes down to differentiating the two, then yeah, absolutely go with the, go with the guy you know who knows the team, who knows the the culture and everything. But if if it's you know that is what you decide over the over form then I'm going to be a little bit skeptical of that for sure. My head agrees with you, but my heart desperately wants to see Yarrow start the first game in Austin and the first game at home. Oh, absolutely. My heart also is with you Mm -hmm. on that. My head is telling me you got to go with the form. Yeah, for sure. I'm really in full agreement both ways on that one. Um, Next up, uh, Dosa Cero at Nat Tut on Twitter. Can you predict our starting attackers and how do you think they will work together? Ooh, okay. So this is an interesting question um, because this kind of brings in how are we going to run out formation-wise in that first game? With, you know, with Nilsson being out, are we running out in a back three, back four, back five, technically? Um, How is that going to work? Because then that decides how are we putting out our forward, our forward-running players uh, if we run it back four, I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, a front three, be it 
two wingers that are slightly more reserved and then a true striker or just a flat three across the top. Um, I think we're more likely to see three front running attackers, two wings and a, and a, and a striker. Uh, but you know, so that, that, that is the first level you have to get to, to understand that question. Um, and I have to say Klaus is going to be out there 100%. He's the DP signing. Yeah. It's going to be Klaus. He's going to be starting that first game. 100%. Um, when it comes to the wings, you might be able to move one of those quote unquote backup strikers out to the wing just just to try to get some more offensive production from them depends on how how wide they're going to be playing and that that could who would bring those some people in backup strikers be Ooh, okay so uh, obviously we've got G- Giacchini. Giacchini. yeah um and then Jensen could play because he plays left wing he plays left mm. mid as well uh, I wouldn't I mean, wouldn't be surprised if Jensen gets a little bit of a look if not you know, he may not be starting, but he could get a look for sure. Yeah, I'm expecting Indiana Vasilev on one of the wings, honestly. Mm-hmm. It's it's really it's kind of a question of who else who's going to be on the other wing with Indiana Vasilev, most likely. You know, Rasmus Alm and Silio Pampeu both can play on the right wing. Alm much, much higher in skill level than Pompeu. You know Yeah, I'm thinking uh you're gonna see Klaus, probably Vasilev, Alm. And Ostrak in the center as an attacker coming out of the midfield. You know, I agree with Sean that I could definitely see the one central attacker being our standard formation. But it feels like a waste when you also have Giacchini to not play him all the time or have him be a consistent starter. You know, what I could almost see happening, although it isn't common, is for the sort of Klaus-Giacchini central striker combo to be standard where you have Klaus starting the game and then every single time, the 50, 55th, 60th minute, then you sub on Giacchini. But even then, I feel like you're really underutilizing Giacchini in that role. So I guess the question then comes out to, do you then put your best attacking player on the field at a wide position that puts him a little bit out of position, but still puts a better attacker on the field, as opposed to putting someone who's more fit to that wide position? And I think a lot of that comes down to comes back to that original question of what's that formation going to be? And that's where these tactics come into play is if we've got that back three with two wide wing backs and we've got, you know, five across the back, we don't need someone so much who plays out wide as a true winger. We can have a center forward playing, quote unquote, left wing, but they're really just a left striker or right striker. And then you can bring the more central players in but bring them in more forward and they just play slightly to the side of Klaus, who's playing the number nine. Yeah. And Giacchini, I know he played more centrally for Orlando and then during his stint with the national team, but in his time in France with Montpellier and Cannes, he did play more of a wider role. So he has played that position before. So I could see them putting him in kind of a wider striker position and then maybe bringing up Jensen or Alm to complete that front three. I think it'll be on. He's a highly value. He's got a high valuation. He's had a good record of scoring. I think Almond is definitely on the field, but one thing to look at, you're probably going to have the single striker. And unless he fails, I think that's Klaus. He's a DP. Uh, the other positions, the three attackers are, are going to be fluid. 
I, I could see them not just sticking in one position as the ball rolls. You could see things. I mean, we saw it with City 2. Ostrak would be in many different places across the field in the attack. And that's the way that uh, modern football games go into much more fluidity uh, in uh, just in how the flow of the match goes. So it seems less of picking a front three and more of pick everyone that's not Blom and... Uh, you know this your center midfielders and your back line it's yeah. pick the yeah. uh, the other pick half everyone of ahead of Blom and and Leuven. yeah if if you've got anyone in front of those two which five players do you put in front of those two which even then brings in the wing backs depending on how we 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 run out and to the second part of the question uh, how do you think they will work together <laughs> it's part of the joy of being an expansion team we've got no earthly idea Mm-hmm. We'll find yeah. out. I say, if we're assuming that Klaus and Giacchini play a consistent front two, it is interesting because Klaus is a very big physical player. Um, he's six foot three. Giacchini is six foot tall, which isn't quite a small person, but he's much more of an opportunistic pounce on mistakes kind of fielder. So that dynamic could work maybe you get Klaus's size to force the mistake and Giacchini to capitalize on that given our high press nature that's the only clue I have though are you are you saying that we run that we potentially end up running a striker with a false nine in in addition so we have like staggered strikers almost because I've I've seen that I remember back in I want to say it was the 2010 World Cup I've seen that work at the national level with uh, who was it Josie and Dempsey, and mm. that worked really well in the game in you know in the one game that Josie actually got to play before he got hurt again. Um, <sighs> but I I could see that working, but then that leaves a back four with two CDMs and then two wing mids makes us you know. It's it's an interesting strategy, and I could see it working, but I don't think that's anything they've actually that I've actually seen at the city two level. And I know they want to keep that same form, you know, same formation and play mm-hmm. style all the way through. Um, so I'm not sure we'll see that, but it'd be a very interesting idea to implement, say, in a game where we really need to start pushing forward and and catch back up. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know enough about tactics. <laughs> Mason, read that book you got. <laughs> then you can talk. I'm trying. I'm trying, dude. <laughs> I know it's dense, but you can do it. I believe in you. <laughs> you got another question, Mason? Yes. Our final question from Vonder James at STL Cinder Ace. What's the best way to display a scarf collection? And don't ask me because I have them folded up on top of a bookcase. <laughs> Um, I'll, I'll, I'll field this one first. Uh, so I actually have a makeshift wall that I have put up behind myself where I sit to record my podcast and I have hung up all of my scarves. I wish you could see it because it is a beautiful display. Uh, but I have them hung up basically on this makeshift wall behind me. Uh, you can see all, I want to say 15 of them behind me. Mm. Uh, I also, the first full kit wanker party that I went to for Halloween. I wore all of them that I had at the time. It was very warm, but it was also very fun. I can't believe you. Looking like Macklemore in the thrift shop video. Get the big ass coat. <laughs> um, I will say I empathize with this question a lot because I am currently living in an apartment. And I think the best way is to buy a few curtain rods, put them up on the wall and just hang them horizontally across there. But you have to install anchors in the wall, and I don't think my landlord wants me to do that. 
So right now, all 18 of my scarves I counted this morning after reading this question are just hanging up on hangers in my closet. Um, you can buy some really nice hangers on Etsy if you want to spring that kind of money. But otherwise, I'd personally, if you don't have a window that it would fit in perfectly, just hang them off the curtain rod there, go to Walmart, buy a curtain rod, sink some acres into the wall, hang them up that way. But if you do that, don't hang them in the window. The UV light will will uh, fade out all of your uh, oh, scarves, and nobody wants that. I did that this, one of the summers I lived out in Ohio because the Blues were in the playoffs, so I had a blue scarf, and I draped it over the TV while they are in the playoffs, and then I forgot about it. And by the time I moved out at the end of August, one half of the scarf was a much different color than the other half of the scarf. So <laughs> <laughs> hanging them in the window isn't the best idea. I will say in the past, I have just draped them over the back of any and all seating op- uh, you know, opportunities, chairs, yes. couches, whatever, what have you. Just, just so that people can see them. No yeah, one's going to be sitting there, so why not just decorate it it's yeah. like it's like throw pillows but for soccer fans yeah. instead of icing your apartment you're scarfing your apartment <laughs> find a scarf you get you gotta get on one knee and put it on don't scarf me bro yeah with that note i think it's time to wrap up this show and uh i'm your host mike turner i'm your producer mason i'm your resident cave dwelling hooligan sean and i am the surprisingly not that badly brain damaged chris Yes, and we are the Soccer Capital Podcast. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.